Hello, Gray Matter listeners. This and the next few episodes were recorded before the coronavirus outbreak, which is why they don't reference it or refer to it at all. We hope these conversations can provide at least a temporary break from the day's news. So for now, stay safe and stay healthy and enjoy the show. I think there's a lot to be said about that, like, like finding confidence in the workplace is, is hard enough, right? There's a whole spectrum of, of people, you know, whether you're introverted or extroverted, I think that the American workplace often demands like a certain level of extroversion. Like you need to be social to, you know, have people like you. And you need to have people like you to climb the ranks, so to speak. And to not even be able to feel confident in like something that you need to wear every day. It's just a huge shot in the foot for like just going to the workplace and you're already like not confident because your shirt's baggy as hell. Like that's, that's awful. Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we'll find out how ill-fitting dress shirts launched an entire fashion brand. And we'll learn the one thing its founders believe every entrepreneur needs. Hi, I'm John Petrolis, Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray. And this week's idea is the men's fashion company, NimbleMade. We'll speak with their co-founders, Wesley Kang and Tanya Zhang, and learn how they launched a clothing brand focused on size inclusion for men needing a truly slim shirt. Gray's strategy director, Carol Chang, sat down with both of the co-founders to chat about the path they each took to become entrepreneurs. Founded in 2018, NimbleMade is a direct-to-consumer fashion brand. It strives to bring representation for Asian-American Pacific Islanders into fashion and create sizes that are designed to actually fit men who can't find what they need at traditional stores. This is Wesley Kang and Tanya Zhang. Our company is called Nimble Made, uh, and, and really the, the name is inspired by kind of uh, our take on, on like men who are skinnier or smaller without, without like introducing like kind of an adjective that that sounds negative in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's how we came up with nimble and made just kind of alludes to, you know, the fashion kind of uh, aspect of it. Uh, and yeah, I think for me, it, when I realized that this was a kind of an issue, I immediately like thought about like, oh, why? Like, why is, is it just because I'm like skinnier? Is it just because I'm like shorter? And I realized that, hey, there are like all kinds of people in this world uh, and, and within our community, like the Asian American uh, and, and uh, other Pacific Islander like community, like we tend to have a different body type. And a lot of times that means kind of like a smaller bone structure. Uh, maybe we're a little shorter in height. Uh, and when you realize that kind of, like if you just Google like average American male height, it's like five nine or something. And I like personally in my community, like if, if you're five nine and an Asian American, like that's relatively tall. Uh, and so for that to be the average and used as kind of the standard to do sizing for, you know, something that's so common as like a, a man's dress shirt, um, I think says a lot about like the level of uh, the lack of inclusion in, in sizing standards. So yeah, I think that the idea does extend, you know, first of all, a lot in my own community and then probably, you know, in, in other communities as well. Um, 
mm-hmm. for, for people with, with a different body type outside of the average spectrum. I want to just like state the fact that we acknowledge that people of color come in all different types of body oh, types, of course, yeah. right? And we're, we're in no way saying that like all Asian Americans are like skinny. And your brand is also something that can cater to like absolutely anyone yeah, that exactly. just happens to have this build. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, you know, it, it is very, you know, interesting to say that, you know, you, you, you come from, um, you saw a problem in, in, in society and, and something that, you know, that, that affected you on a personal level, effect, and then, but you also saw that it affected this larger community. I, like, I'm a fan of Nimble Made is because beyond just the functionality of it, you know, beyond just, yes, like, you are catering to, um, you're being more inclusive and you're catering to um, more, like, different body types, different sizes, you're hinting at a bigger issue which is like representation of people of color within the Mm -hmm. united states Mm -hmm. um and i know tanya you've talked about this in the past can you tell me a little bit more about what this means and and your role in society yeah yeah definitely i think the inspiration behind the brand behind nimble made is wesley and i were are actually dating and we've been dating for three for four years now um and so i've Seen it, I've seen it on a daily basis where he's coming home f- from work um, from his finance job and he's like, I need to get like a new dress shirt, but like, where do I even go? Like, buy it, right? And I think that resonated with me a lot because I heard it in my childhood too. So, my parents are immigrants from China. They came here pretty early on in their like 20s. And so, I'm first generation, um, first generation Chinese American here, uh, born and raised in LA. And so seeing my dad, um, like always going shopping with my dad and going to like the big department stores to like, it was always so hard for us to find a really good fit for him. And I thought that was so weird. Like he would try on, I'm like, dad, like, no, like there's got to be a size for you, right? And so trying so many different dress shirt brands and so many different department stores, like these dress shirts were so baggy. They were like very, very long. Like they looked like a dress on him, right? He's like probably like five, six, like 140 pounds-ish. So definitely like a slimmer kind of guy. And so I was just so confused because I think for women, there are petite lines and there are brands specifically like catering to petite women. And yes, they're like slim fit for guys, but it was so weird to me that like Wesley and my dad still couldn't fit the slim fits. And so oftentimes we're looking for like an XXX small, you know, like hailing down like associates, like, oh, do you have something even smaller? And it was just like so hard because we wouldn't, like we were never able to find that. And I think for me, I grew up in a very Asian American like community um, in the suburban part in LA. And I saw that happen a lot with like my friends too. And so I, I was just like, oh, this is, this could be like an idea that we could try out. What's been like the some of like the the response that you've gotten from your own community or beyond? Yeah, I think the response has been pretty great, pretty rewarding. Um, oftentimes, customers will come to us and be like, "Wow, this is like the only brand that I'm going to get dress shirts from like from from now on." And I think that's such a great point of validation for us. Um, Wesley and I left our jobs about left our full-time jobs about a year ago and so we've been doing this a year full-time together and uh i think we battle a lot of things and that's kind of imposter syndrome right like 
are we really successful at this point? Like, are we really like moving the meter at all? Um, and so to get those various like points of validation from people have been really, really great. I think our kind of like the Asian American community has been really receptive to it. Uh, we, we feature people of color on our website a lot. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the models um, who are wearing our shirts on the website or even on Instagram, like we are very specific about making sure that we show more representation across the website not only that but also like the photographers that we source um the makeup artists and like the hairstylists and everyone who's been helping us even like our freelancers and our contractors who are helping us on like the business we try to like be we try to keep a more open mind and think about extending more opportunities to people who maybe don't get them as much where did this courage come from in my last job my uh manager and my mentor he he told me that like all you need to be an entrepreneur is is courage and like anyone can be an entrepreneur if you have enough courage to like do it um and so for me like i think i've always been kind of a risk taker and so i i had it easier i think uh, i think naturally if you're like a risk taker you're willing to uh kind of take leaps then, then it's easy to kind of grasp the idea of entrepreneurship and, and like, hey, you're just taking this this leap and you don't really know what's going to happen, but you're comfortable with that because right. you're used to doing things like that. But uh, I think the story is very different for Tanya. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll let her speak to how she <laughs> kind of found the courage to to take that leap. Yeah, I think I'm, a, I'm definitely not a risk taker. I'm very risk averse, actually. Mm -hmm. And so when I was still in my full-time job, um, I was just like, every day thinking like, oh, should I like quit today? Like, should I leave now? Like Wesley and I are working on Nimble Made on the side and it's been like probably like I think six months um, that we were kind of like straddling both. Um, and it was really hard for me to kind of take that, that leap of faith into something that has no, uh, uh, there's like no guidance for it whatsoever. Um, and so I think I, uh, um, I think I get a lot of, my courage from talking to Wesley and talking to my family. I think it was integral for me to have the blessing of my parents uh, to be able to do this. Uh, I would not have done it if they were like, no, <laughs> right? And so my parents, again, like immigrants from China, like very, uh, worked very, very hard to get me and my sister to where we are, to our, our whole family to where we are today. And so it was hard for me to be like, hey mom, dad, I'm like leaving this really stable, very like big rep um, kind of like company and job to make like no money and like <laughs> I don't know just like you know in, in exchange for like fulfillment kind of you know right. and so that was really tough but I I took it took a long time for me just kind of like constantly calling my mom and like crying I'm like oh what should I do like should I do this and I think eventually she did um, say that you know you can try it and it's worth trying and even at that point I was like oh okay so now like my parents are okay with it but like am I really okay with it it's a kind of a constant internal struggle even to this day that's <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you talked about that because like that's the the, the honest answer mm -hmm. courage doesn't have to be kind of like an independent thing that comes from yourself you can draw courage from other people mm. and so that means like finding the, the people who will support you in your in your decisions whether or not it's a big risk or not so courage can definitely come from other sources and that's really important to to recognize who would you say were your biggest biggest supporters 
uh, for me, my parents were really supportive, actually, I think, um, and Tanya will probably talk about this too, but, you know, with, within our community, it's, sometimes it can be really hard to find the support for, like, entrepreneurship, because I think that, and we maybe have alluded this, alluded to this, like, earlier on, which is, um, you know, in, in the American dream, we're brought up in the system where we're to believe that a good education, um, means like a good job and a good job means like you know certain things like buying a good house raising a family and stuff like that mm -hmm. and so um, to deviate from that already no matter who you are is already really tough but I think as immigrant you know as a as a child of immigrant parents like that's even harder because they came and they did all of those things so that we could have you know a higher rung a higher rung on the ladder as a starting point right and and kind of do the same thing but like on a higher level and for us to have gotten there and then been like actually i'm gonna like go backwards and, and not do it is a yeah it's like a particularly difficult conversation um so for me it was absolutely vital to get the support of my parents and my family because they're the ones that were able to give me this opportunity in the first place so if I didn't have the support then it's kind of like just telling them like hey like you're the reason that I'm here and even though you don't support me I'm gonna go and do this anyways and I don't think I would have been able to do that right. so that was crucial and then uh, right before I left my job you know my manager whom I was really close with you know uh, he's like a very insightful kind of business very business oriented person and I got his support and I, I felt like that was really important because you know I always looked you know I, I spent eight months at this startup basically where he was my manager and I always looked up to him because mm -hmm. he he was just kind of the guy that always had the answers right like mm -hmm. you're doing something really hard you can't ever figure out how to do it and then you ask him and he has the answer in like a second mm -hmm. and so I always looked up to him and to be able to have his support and for him to say like hey you can do this Right. Uh, that was really important to me. Right, right. Yeah, I think to add on to that, we also have like a core group of like friends who've been super, super helpful. I mean, we've like bothered them so many times to like try on our shirts, to do like user testing, to like be like the first like models on the website. And, you know, I think they've been really integral to our, to like everything we've been able to accomplish. Could you tell me about like, is there, was there a single moment where you knew this was going to be something? I think Wesley and I were trying to find that metric that would decide that for us. Is it that we would get X amount in sales? Is that kind of like the point of like success? And is that when we feel like we've kind of made it? Or is it, you know, like the number of like email like su subscribers that we get? Um, that's something that Wesley and I struggled with for a really, really long time. Um, I think we were always kind of on the daily like doubting ourselves and whether or not like this was something like real almost and so I don't know I think he, he might have a different answer than me but I think the first kind of success um, was when we were featured by Money Magazine that was kind of the first like big public kind of like this is us this is what we do um you immediately call mom <laughs> yeah like, mm -hmm. um, and so i think that was kind of the first like wow people were like a lot of eyes were like looking at it like prior to that it was like us and like our friends and our friends of our friends mm -hmm. and maybe like one more beyond that who were like looking at our brand right and so money mag was like the big kind of like public thing 
Yeah. I think, uh, to any like potential entrepreneurs out there or people who are thinking about it, like uh, it's really easy to like just get caught up on like, oh, what's that one thing we need to do or that one thing we need to see so that I can convince myself that what I'm doing is worth it or yeah. successful. And the truth is like, there's not really that thing. And like, you can define it any which way, every business, every person will define it differently. And so to look for that certainty in entrepreneurship is, is a really, um, it's a really tough trap. And I think that it's easy when you're in like corporate to get that kind of validation all the time daily, like from your peers, from your superiors, um, you know, you have goals and if nothing else, you have a paycheck coming in and you're like, okay, this is validation that I'm doing something. Yeah. Uh, but in entrepreneurship, you have none of that. And so it's really easy, like Tanya said, to be doubting yourself all the time and be like, oh, I made $0 again today. So what am I really spending all my time doing? Um, uh, but I think that, you know, for me, the the thing that made me feel like, oh, this brand is something was like the first customer that kind of didn't know us through like a friend mm -hmm. or through like a family. And, you know, they either just like saw an ad and like heard of us like randomly that way. Yeah. And was like, oh, this is a random brand I've never heard of. And was like convinced to like buy something from us mm -hmm. yeah. and, and i think that's that's certainly a measure of success because it takes a lot nowadays to convince someone to buy something from you because there's just so many ads there's so many things that we see all the time and so for someone random to to do that i think is a is is one way of, of interpreting success um but you have talked about like you've talked about your parents supporting you you've talked about like growing up with immigrant parents i can absolutely relate to that you know it seems like you have drawn inspiration from your parents mm -hmm. um can you tell me a little bit more about like what you and maybe maybe it wasn't words that they gave you but like that mm -hmm. some of the actions that that they took and and that inspired you yeah so for me my parents um i think you know, all of our parents probably lived a way harder life than like we did. Mm -hmm. So my parents, you know, basically, you know, whenever I'm in a difficult place, I just think about like what my parents had to go through. And I'm like, oh, I have a really easy actually. <laughs> yeah. um, but basically, they, you know, had to come to the US at a pretty like relatively like older, older age. I think my parents came like when they were like mid 40s. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's really late for like an immigrant family because they're not going to pick up on a lot of like the cultural uh, adaptations that, you know, families that come earlier will have the advantage of. And so they didn't speak a word of English. You know, they couldn't do just really basic things, right? Like if you don't speak English, like how are you going to like get electricity even right. like for your house? Like how do you call up like Con Ed to set up like electricity if you don't speak the, the language? And so all those challenges like they've had to face and, you know, they still had to like find a job and like raise me and my brother. And then my, you know, so that was really like my mom in the US and then my dad had to be like away from us and he stayed in Taiwan. And so he had to be away from us um, and to do all of those things and be able to send us off to college and, you know, graduate from college and find a job. Like that's just like really incredible what they've, they've had to do. Mm -hmm. um, so that inspires me because, you know, those are all things that are so difficult and like 
things that I don't know if I would have been able to do. Like if I was a 40 year old like man or woman and I came to this United States and I didn't speak a single word and I had to raise a child and I had to find a job and I have to pay a mortgage. Like, I don't know if I would be able to do that. It makes your problems seem so small in comparison. Yeah. Who am I to complain when, you know, I've been given so much. I've been given like, you know, I had you know, I can absolutely relate to that. this notion of, like, my parents sacrifice everything just so that I can, like, live this really comfortable life. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I think to add to that, it's, like, it's funny because my mom and my dad, they're kind of, like, bus- I think they're, I don't, I don't know if they would consider themselves as, like, business people, but they they definitely run their own thing right now. Like, that's kind of, like, what they do as their job. Like, my mom, like, flips houses. She's, like, a real estate agent kind of on the side, too. And my dad has his own, like, company, too, right? So I think it's really interesting because they are very entrepreneurial, and I think they've only started their their ventures because they had to, and they felt like that was the way that they could make money. Mm -hmm. And now that I kind of want to do that, they're like, no, it's, like, so hard. Why would you want to start something yourself? Like, especially, like, direct-to-consumer brand. It's, like you need to find, like, your customer base, and that's, like, super hard. And so I think it's really funny that they're, like, they're entrepreneurs, and they're, like, business people, and they've, like, made their, like, their ventures, like, uh, successful, and they're telling me, like, not to do it just because they know, like, how tough it is and how uh, they're just, like, just find a job, (laughs) you know, at a company. It's easy. You get a paycheck, you know. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's tough because I want to be like, oh, but I want that, like, fulfillment of, like, seeing something that I made myself, like, grow into something bigger. Right, right, right. Yeah. It's so interesting because, like, they did it, but they did it for a completely different reason. Yeah. So, like, no, I, I want something better for you. I want you to coast. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, nah, nah, guys. <laughs> I'm going to struggle. <laughs> exactly. I choose exactly. to struggle. Um, that's so funny. What about, like, what was the worst, you know, as, as Nimble Maid continues to evolve, what was the worst criticism that, like, real criticism that you got from your idea that, like, really hit home? I think that sometimes I'll I'll kind of, like, go out to, like, peer gatherings and, and I'll tell people about, this was earlier on, like, you know, kind of either pre-launch or right after launch. And sometimes there were people that would be like, oh, like, why would you, why would you choose to do, like, you know, fashion, and why would you choose to do, like, direct-to-consumer? Like, mm-hmm. that's so hard. And I think that's, that's like, a big piece of criticism, right? Especially, like, as someone who's, you know, either about to launch this company or just launched it, mm-hmm. to hear someone, like, say that is kind of, like, that's, like, the biggest piece of, like, doubt yeah. you can receive. Because yeah. it's like, oh, have I made the wrong mistake? Have I made the wrong choice? Like, launching a company that just is set up for failure. But, like, at the end of the day, like, I just like ignore it and I'm just like there are plenty of companies who have done harder things there's plenty of people that done greater things and faced greater opposition so like why does it matter like what one person says or what one person thinks or or anything like that um but I think it's tough because Wesley and I don't have a fashion background like we didn't major in fashion nor do we do we go to like a fashion school I mean we like clothes we wear clothes but like that's pretty much it you know and so I think we already kind of had those doubts ourselves about like oh why like why are we doing clothes like clothes are super tough like you you have a bunch of SKUs basically you have all these different sizes and all these different styles right and at the end of it fashion is very like subjective and so even though a customer is supposed to buy their height and their weight they're supposed to wear like a size 
and four, for example, a lot of the times they'll like return it and be like, oh, I just prefer something looser or, oh, I actually prefer, prefer something tighter. And so there is that very like personal kind of just like fit or like style that people have in mind that it's just like you just can't really like account for it's like by our like matrix of like height and weight of like previous mm-hmm. customer data you should be this size right. and there's people who are just like oh no it's like not really for me um and so i think fashion is a really interesting very interesting space because i think working with dress shirts and it being more of a commodity i think for some people does make it a little bit easier but at the same time there's just like a bunch of <laughs> there's a bunch of like obstacles with like fashion and a bunch of things we just don't account for okay so now let's switch gears to future thinking we talked about the past now let's talk about the future where do you see yourself in five years i think in terms of the brand we like we'd like to think that people can refer to us as like the j crew for asian americans or the j crew for like anyone aapi or a person of color who are slimmer Mm -hmm. um um as a brand i think I uh, I personally would love to be able to then also in five years if we're super like successful um, to also build out um, some sort of platform for creatives. I think as as a creative myself, I I know how tough it is to find um, like photo space, like studio space. Um, I think it'd be great if this is just like one example of like if we were able to build the brand to a state where we can kind of like have our own warehouse have our inventory in our warehouse but also use part of that warehouse for anything kind of creative for Mm -hmm. other creators um so like maybe like building in like a photo studio that people can just like come in and use like for free to like build up their, their portfolios would be really really great i think there are all these different kind of like API initiatives that we want to um, that we want to take on that we can't right now just because right. selling dress shirts. But you know, in the future, I right. think that'd be really really great to create more opportunities for for other people like ourselves. Yeah, at the core of that, it's really just about like empowerment and representation. And and if the company like grows, we'd love to be able to like leverage the success and and create like a platform for you know a lot of different things. Like one of the key things that I always want to do is like inspire other. Asian Americans, AAPI um, people in our community mm-hmm. to like want to think about entrepreneurship mm-hmm. as like a viable choice and not as something that they they have to dread telling their parents about. Because <laughs> yeah. um, we get that a lot. Like we Sorry, sometimes I'm not going to med school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> we like go to like a college campus and we like talk to students there. Like someone in the crowd always is like, "Oh, how did you tell like your parents?" <laughs> Because that's like something yes. you really have to think about when yeah. you're when you like are seriously considering entrepreneurship. Yeah. And for us, we really lack like even even now like Tanya and I don't have any like real like mentors that we go to all the time for advice or because because in our community there's not like that many of us. Right. And you know, if if Nimble May would be were be were to be successful, I'd love to be able to like use his success to create like this network or platform so that others can can be like oh i don't know how to you know do digital advertising like who can i reach out to to talk to about that and there'll be this like network where you know there's all these experts in our community that have done it before or know someone else that has done it and allow other people to be able to go through the experience that we did but without as much hardship and having to like do it all Carol, that was fantastic. Seems like there are more and more direct-to-consumer brands popping up in recent years. Do they speak at all about the rise in this space? 
So yeah, actually, Wesley talked about his own personal experience and frustrations that he's had with retailers. You know, retailers are often trying to target the masses. Um, so it's really great to see a small direct-to-consumer brand um, that you know, and this team that was able to uncover this unmet need among a group that you know most retailers would ignore. A group that you know, I'm sure they saw as too niche of a market to cater to. And ultimately, the key learning here is there is no one size fits all. And as the country continues to change and evolve, brands need to adjust and evolve accordingly and learn how to personalize their offerings. Yeah, that makes sense. Seems like they're right in the right space for that. All right. So how can people learn more about NimbleMade or maybe order a shirt? Yeah, sure. Uh, you can visit nimblemade.com to learn more or browse their selection of super stylish shirts. Thanks, Carol. That does it for us. Be sure to rate and review, but more importantly, tell someone you know about the show. If you like what we're doing, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Follow Gray's social pages for more information about Gray and upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening to Gray Matter. Gray Matter is hosted by John Petrulis, produced by Joey Scarillo and John Dillon, mixed by Guy Rosemarin at Townhouse Studios. Additional support from David Canavan, Christina Hyde, Grace McDougal, Andy Yancho, John Bicknell, Lydia Dizon, Abigail Hofflinger, and Ryan Cunningham. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.